Welcome to Disputes Digest. Today is June 18th, 2021. I'm Chris Campbell. Don't forget to follow Tales of the Tribunal on LinkedIn to stay up to date with news from around the world of international law and dispute resolution. One more thing. Before we get into it this week, if you haven't already, take a moment to share the show with a friend or colleague. And if you've got any feedback for the show, drop us a line at talesofthetribunal at gmail.com. And you already know the drill. Don't forget to leave us a review. It helps other people find the show. Also, before we get into it, y'all hear that? Yeah, that's that beat. The TOT team has got us some new music, and we look forward to having it every week going forward. Let's jump into it. We start this week with the news, and this time in France, as the French government authorized the ratification of the agreement of the termination of bilateral investment treaties between the member states of the European Union, the termination agreement. Once ratified, France will join the increasing number of signatory states which have ratified the agreement. This will result in France terminating its 11 intra-EU BITs. Indeed, the termination agreement has entered into force in 13 of 23 signatory member states, and thus leaves only 9 remaining states that have yet to ratify the agreement, namely Belgium, the Czech Republic, Greece, Spain, Italy, Lithuania, Luxembourg, Portugal, and Romania. It is also believed that Sweden is in the process of terminating its intra-EU BITs on the bilateral level, and as such, there is little value in signing the termination agreement. This is a developing story with more news to come in the future. Next up, let's head to Mauritius, where a groundbreaking decision from the Mauritian courts has been made on domestic intervention and international arbitration awards. Back on June 14th, the Judicial Committee of the Privy Council, JCPC, handed down its decision in the case of Betamax Limited versus State Trading Corporation on the issue of illegality being raised as a basis to set aside and resist enforcement of an arbitral award upon an appeal from the Supreme Court of Mauritius. The case concerned an arbitration that was administered before the Singapore International Arbitration Center, where a sole arbitrator considered the legality of a contract between the parties which was allegedly in violation of domestic Mauritian public procurement law. The arbitrator held that the contract was not entered into in breach of such laws and awarded damages to Betamax in the amount of $115 million. In turn, the Mauritius Supreme Court refused to enforce the award because it appeared to be a flagrant violation of Mauritian law. However, the Judicial Committee's decision overrules the finding holding that the Supreme Court did not have the authority to reopen the issue of illegality which had previously been considered by the arbitrator. As such, the decision was upheld and Betamax was available to pursue its award from the SEAC arbitrator. We'll include a deep dive in the decision in the show notes. Then, over to the United Arab Emirates, as an Abu Dhabi court determines that a, quote, special authority, end quote, is required to conclude an arbitration agreement by power of attorney. The Abu Dhabi Court of Cassation, in case number 922 of 2020, held that, first, whether a party has authority to conclude an arbitration agreement is a matter which the court, rather than the tribunal, is competent to determine. Second, an arbitration agreement is a, quote, exceptional agreement, end quote, as a form of waiver of the right to access courts. As such, a party's intention to arbitrate must be both explicit and free from all doubt. Three, a special rather than a general power of attorney or authorization is required for an agent, such as a company director or general manager, to bind the company to an arbitration agreement. 
a lack of requisite special authority will result in an arbitration agreement being void and unenforceable. This is a fascinating case with a winding background worth looking into and providing an important notice to parties operating in the area or planning to operate in the UAE to make sure that parties are duly aware of the strict compliance requirements of the UAE when entering into arbitration agreements. Then there is an interesting piece by Gary Bourne on why states should not and should instead denounce the Hague Choice of Court Agreement Convention, Part 1, which is the first of a three-part series on the topic where Bourne provides criticism on the convention. The convention has been endorsed as a global instrument appropriate for ratification by all states that establishes an alternative to international arbitration for the resolution of international business disputes in national courts. Indeed, the convention is imagined to respect party autonomy by giving effect to form selection agreements and to maximize efficiency by permitting relatively easy recognition and enforcement of foreign court judgments. In this first piece, Bourne writes that the convention ignores the realities of the endemic corruption among various jurisdictions and inexperience and lack of independence in many judicial systems, thereby exposing litigants to substantial risk and procedural unfairness and arbitrary or corrupt adjudicative proceedings. Indeed, Bourne opines that the convention significantly dilutes protections that the New York Convention provides, i.e. party autonomy and procedural fairness. Those dilutions materially exacerbate the risk that arise from the convention basic structure and norms. Bourne also highlights that most states have been reluctant to ratify the convention and implores readers and states to refrain from doing so. We'll include a link to the full article in the show notes. Finally, for this week in the news, we head to Switzerland as the revised Swiss rules of international arbitration went into force earlier this month. Here are some of the key changes. First, the Swiss Chamber's Arbitration Institution, SCAI, will be renamed to the Swiss Arbitration Center, SCA. However, arbitration agreements that refer to the SCAI or the Chamber of Commerce will continue to be valid and binding and will be recognized. Also, claimants will be able to submit their notice of arbitration electronically unless deemed otherwise by the Secretariat. The new rules also contain provisions regarding cross-claims, joinder of parties, and the intervention of parties. Among other things, the rules address consolidation, appointment of arbitrators, arbitrator conduct, conduct of the proceedings, and other administrative rules. We'll include a link to a summary in the show notes. All right, before we get into events, let's hear about the opportunities. First, global law firm CMS is seeking an international arbitration associate to join its London-based offices. Next, the Singapore International Arbitration Center, SEAC, is seeking an associate counsel to join its Singapore-based offices. Next, law firm Stephenson Harwood, LLP, is seeking a litigation associate to join its commodities team based in London. Next, oil and gas and energy company Uniper is seeking a legal counsel to join its competition-based team in Dusseldorf, Germany. Finally, for this week, the London Court of International Arbitration is hiring for two positions, one for senior counsel and one counsel, both based in London. From there, we head on to the world of events, as on June 23rd, the ICC Young Arbitrators Forum presents practical tips on estimation of damages in international arbitration. The event is described as a webinar with the participation of international arbitration experts and counsel who will discuss practical aspects regarding estimation of damages in international arbitration. Speakers will focus on, one, choosing the most appropriate methodology for damages estimation, in particular in cases of decreased enterprise value, 
Two, forecasting future cash flows and damages estimation and related pitfalls. And three, identifying sources of differences and experts' evaluations. The event is ideal for young practitioners age 40 and under. Also on June 23rd, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce offers its second annual national summit on equality of opportunity. The organizers say all Americans should have the opportunity to earn their success, rise on their merit, and live their own American dream. Unites the business community around the private and public sector solutions to some of the underlying challenges driving inequality of opportunity for black Americans and other people of color in six critical areas, education, employment, entrepreneurship, criminal justice, health, and wealth. Registration is available on the U.S. Chamber of Commerce's website and will include a link in the show notes. Then on June 24th, Arbitral Women, the Equal Representation in Arbitration Pledge, and Ernst & Young present a workshop series titled Demystifying Quantum and Expert Evidence. This series offers to help arbitrators, both present and aspiring, understand the key aspects of quantum and expert evidence, the drivers of differences between experts, and the options available to narrow down and or resolve their differences. Registration is available on the EY and Arbitral Women website. Finally for this week, one more event by the ICCYAF titled How to Build Your Profile on International Library, which has some familiar faces and undoubtedly great content for practitioners looking to raise their profile. The organizers note that at this virtual networking social event hosted by ICCYAF and Quadrant Chambers, you will have the opportunity to meet with colleagues and friends and to hear from experienced practitioners on issues which may help raise your profile in international arbitration. We'll include a link in the show notes. And one more thing before we get out of here this week. Tomorrow is Juneteenth. In case you've never heard of it, Juneteenth is June 19th and has been celebrated every year since 1865 in the wake of the American Civil War. Now, the Civil War was a bloody armed conflict between the United States of America and the Confederate States. It was fought to free countless enslaved black people who were captured from Africa and in many cases born in the United States. Fortunately, the U.S. won that war and the slaves were freed, except many slave owners did not want to free their slaves, so they delayed informing their slaves, and it wasn't until June 19, 1865, that the final slaves were liberated and recognized as American citizens. Just this week, more than 150 years later, the U.S. government has recognized Juneteenth as a federal holiday, which is great news. The reason I mention this occasion is because, as much as it might be obvious that having an entire half of your country split off to preserve an institution that keeps you and people that look like you enslaved, and then maintain second-class citizenship for another 100 years, all of that probably equates to a history and a pattern of systemic and institutional oppression. There are many people in the United States that believe that this history is either a no longer relevant relic of the past or is embellished or overinflated. Well, I'm here to say that we cannot and we must not let that be the case. That we must never forget these atrocities and must continue to fight for freedom and justice. And that begins with acknowledging the truth. To quote the great James Baldwin, it is precisely because I love this country that I criticize her. And whether it is critical race theory, a call for reparations, or the fight against voter suppression and systemic injustice, we must hold our government accountable. And on that note, we shall overcome. Happy Juneteenth and Black Lives Matter. You're listening to Disputes Digest on Tales of the Tribunal. See you next week.
None of the views shared today or in any episode of Disputes Digest is presented as legal advice nor advice of any kind. No compensation was provided to any organization or party for their inclusion on the show, nor do any of the statements made represent any particular organization, legal position, or viewpoint. All interviewees or organizations included appear on an arm's length basis, and their appearance should not be construed as any bias or preferred affiliation with the host or host's employer. All rights reserved.